Thank you for listening to this audio from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website, trinityspartanburg.com. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you for another Lord's Day. Thank you that you have given us life and breath and that you have put your Holy Spirit within us. And we ask that the Spirit would work in us, uh, completing that work uh, that you've begun in us. And so, Father, as we talk about Christian rigor, I pray that you would give us understanding of your word, conviction in our hearts, and uh, the will to pursue holiness in our minds. Lord, I pray that you would uh, bless our uh, my teaching and our conversation this morning. May it bring you glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so we continue on this morning on uh, rigor in the Christian life, and our general verse for that and for this rigorous pursuit is Second Peter, you know, by now, 1, uh, basically 1 through 11, where the Apostle Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a li- oh, sorry, the wrong one. Second Peter. Um, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now, for this very reason, also applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, in your moral excellence, knowledge, in your knowledge, self control in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you, for as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. So this is not about justification. This is about our sanctification, right? This is about our pursuit of sanctification and our obedience to the Lord that arises out of a heart that is regenerate, that is newly born, that has the love of God poured out in it through the Holy Spirit. And we're, we're now hitting specific topics where I think we fall short in our rigor. 
in the Christian life. And I'm taking a main verse each week and asking the question, if this verse were true, which it is, um, you know, am I willing to obey it? Or do I find it very difficult and even find an unwillingness in my heart to obey what's laid out here? And here's today's main verse, and the topic is uh, forgive, forgiveness. So we're going to turn to Matthew 18, 21. <clears throat> and we read there about forgiveness. Then Peter came to, and said to Jesus, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, along with his wife and children and all that he had in repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground, prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me and I will repay everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii, and he seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, have patience with me and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. And then this addendum, this summary verse. My Father, my heavenly Father, will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Okay? And that just crashes into our lives with uh, quite a bit of thunder and even quite a bit of pain. My heavenly Father also will do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. So, um, <clears throat> if we do not forgive others, when they sin against us, we have reason to doubt our salvation. Essentially what these passages teach and others that we'll get to. I want to give you an example of forgiveness that probably is still in many of our minds. You remember a number of years ago when um, Dylan Roof 
went into that church in Charleston and, and shot a bunch of people. You remember that? Took a gun in, prayer meeting, and uh, killed a number of people, uh, including the pastor there who was a, a, a state senator. And um, the response of the people of that church was pretty remarkable. Do you remember the response of that church? I mean, Charleston was sort of lifted up. Their whole response was lifted up as sort of a contrast to the rioting and everything that was going on. In Charleston, I remember they were peaceful in how they responded to it. But specifically, some of the family members of those who died um, appeared in court when he was being uh, arraigned or when, when the, everything was starting or maybe when, when it was finishing and it was toward sentencing. And the, the, the souls of that church got up and expressed forgiveness to him to Dylan Roof, who had shot those people in cold blood. I will never be able to hold her again, but I forgive you, a daughter of one victim said. We have no room for hating, so we have to forgive, said the sister of another. I pray God on your soul, said another. And it was just one after the other that expressed certain things like that. But just think of this this you know, hateful young man, different skin color of the victims, had written his petty juvenile manifestos of hate, you know, just uh, mimicking other uh, internet crusaders out there, and decides to put his life philosophy into action by killing... Um, killing people he didn't even know. And they have an opportunity to address him. They can say whatever they want. And each of them like, talks about forgiving him. Well, there's a beautiful, you know, um, heaping of burning coals on the head of that young man through that action. But genuinely, I don't think that that is the reason they were doing it. I think, um, I think it took an amazing amount of self-control for them to express words of forgiveness right at that point, right as they're still grieving the loss of those um, that were dear and close to them. And so I just wanted to bring that. that there are a couple articles, you can find those online, of the things that were said. And... Uh, that it was extraordinary when it happened. It stuck in my mind, and as we were talking about forgiveness, it popped into my head again. Um, that was an example of Christian forgiveness. Very difficult, but very wonderful. Now, let's build some doctrine here. Every sin is against God. We all agree with that basic statement. Every sin is against God. Every sin offends God. Every sin 
is receives a response of God's anger. And the mountain of our sins, right, the, the accumulation of our sins just reaches to the heavens. We sin and we sin and we sin and we sin, right? Even after we're regenerate and the Spirit lives within us, we continue to sin. Psalm 51, 3 through 4, David says, For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Right? All guilty, all sins are against God and against God um, first and foremost. Psalm 40, verse 12, For evils beyond number have surrounded me, my iniquities have overtaken me, so that I am not able to see. They are more numerous than the hairs of my head, and my heart has failed me. Just that accumulation, the, the, the sins that we have committed. Many of those sins are against other people. We have sinned against other people, but all of them are sins against God himself. What is God's response to those sins against him? But still, God forgives. God forgives. Nehemiah 9, 17, they refuse to listen, speaking about the wilderness generation. They refuse to listen and did not remember your wondrous deeds which you had performed among them, so they became stubborn and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God of forgiveness, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness, and you did not forsake them. That wilderness generation, that wilderness generation that by the judgment of God died in the wilderness, right? Still, he expresses to subsequent generations that are descended from him, his forgiveness, his compassion, his graciousness. Psalm 32, 5, I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And then how does it end? And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Confess my sins before the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Psalm 65, iniquities prevail against me. As for our transgressions, you, God, forgive them. Psalm 86, 5, for you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive. He's standing ready to forgive. And abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon you. 2 Samuel 12, then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, do you remember what Nathan said immediately after David says, I've sinned against the Lord? It's glorious. We should all have that in our minds. The Lord also has taken away your sin, you shall not die. Jeremiah 31, 34, they will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. 
step beyond forgiveness to sort of oblivion, you know, forgetfulness. If you think it's hard to forgive sin, it's much harder to forget sins against you, right? There are times when perhaps we shouldn't forget sins against us. But that is indeed what God does for all those sins you've committed against Him. He has forgiven and forgotten if you are in Christ. Luke 7, 36-50, Now one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him, and he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table, and there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with perfume. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. <laughs> I love that. Uh, and he said, say it, teacher. Moneylender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii, the other 50. And when they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said, you have judged correctly. Turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet." You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. Personalized, looking at her, addressing all of her particular sins. Your sins are, have been forgiven. And those who were reclining at the table with them began to say to themselves, who is this man who even forgives sin? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And so we have these examples of, of the forgiveness of God. It is the character of God to be gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. He is ready to forgive he forgives. He, he brings about the ministry of reconciliation, right? He brings about through His own Son, who is a mediator between God and us, He brings a resolution to all that broken sinfulness that has destroyed the relationship between man and God. And God fixes it, and He fixes it through his compassionate forgiveness. Now, Scripture then exhorts us to forgive those who sin against us. Matthew 6, 9-15, through 15, Pray then in this way, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. 
And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And then what comes next? Again, we forget this. The next two verses after the prayer ends are about forgiveness. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Whoa. And that's why I say at the outset that, that, you know, if you find it impossible to forgive others, you have reason to doubt your salvation. Okay? Now, we all find it hard. But some find it impossible. Some find forgiveness to be odious and wrong and unprincipled and a caving into what is evil. Right? And so they live their life justifying their unforgiveness and their bitterness against others because hey they've been sinned against they have a right to feel the way they're feeling we all do that right we all do that this is one of the most rigorous aspects of the christian life is is forgiving others okay but but remember those verses those probably should have been the verses that i chose for our if these are true am i willing to obey right for if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Those are, those are conditional clauses, right? They're conditionals. If you do this, God will do this. If you don't do this, God won't do that. If you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. And so perhaps now at this point, certain, certain people who have sinned against you are coming to mind. And that's when it starts to get real. And you begin to categorize in your mind those that, well, not going to deal with them. I could possibly forgive this class of sinner against me, but... That one, never. Right? And we do, we, we, we do that, um, we make those distinctions. Colossians 3, 12 through 14, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Right? So we look to God, we look to his character. He's a God of, who's ready to forgive. And then we're told, just as he has done, you're supposed to do too. Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. So who has sinned against you that you believe you are justified in not forgiving?
a parent. Has a parent sinned against you? In ways that it is hard for you to even articulate to others. Has a sibling sinned against you? Again, in ways that are hard to express. Have, have church members sinned against you? The answer is yes. We have sinned against one another in this family. We have sinned against one another. We bear grudges. We tear people down. We are envious toward them. We gossip about others. It's all very terrible. It's very unkind. But we do that. We've sinned. Each of us have sinned against members here. What about your spouse? No sin there. No unkind words. You know, no lack of love or lack of respect. How about a former spouse? How about a coworker? That coworker that that um, you just can't seem to get along with. So, notice, I mean, there are two, two sides of forgiveness, right? If you've been sinned against, you're called to forgive. If you've committed sin, others are called to forgive, right? But, but there's a process in each of these, you know, categories. If you have sinned against others, you should seek to be reconciled, right? You should, you should pursue it, confess it. If you've been sinned against, you should seek reconciliation, right? And you should work to genuinely forgive them from the heart. That's what it says, from the heart. Which, when, when it says forgive from the heart, that means don't just forgive with your words. Don't just forgive by saying, you know, quick, I forgive you. But from the heart means that you actually feel it. You know what you're doing. It's, it's, um, it's, a, it's like the Spirit's work in you, right? It's from the heart. It's from the core of your being. You're offering this thing that God has offered to you to others. Now, a caution. We're so twisted. I mean, we're just so twisted. We weaponize forgiveness, don't we? We weaponize it. Forgiveness is a process. If you have been sinned against in terrible ways, the command still applies to you. But so often in situations like this, victims of terrible sin are told to quickly forgive, and that forgiveness is weaponized in this sense. If a victim forgives, they are expected by others or even by perpetrators to avoid pursuing prosecution of crimes, for example. Oh, we've forgiven, we've worked through that. We, we've forgiven each other, Right? If you have sinned against others, you, here's the other, 
other way we weaponize it. If you've sinned against others, you may not go to them and demand forgiveness. That is weaponizing forgiveness. You can't go and say, it's your duty to forgive all those terrible things I did against you. What, are you not a Christian? Christians should forgive. That's weaponizing forgiveness. You may ask for it and wait a long time. In fact, it would be right to ask for it. There's an example of this in Trinity years ago. A sibling was sexually abusing his sisters. And the family just rallied, rallied around and said, well, the, the sisters have forgiven their brother. They've forgiven him. You know, meanwhile, meanwhile, I'm, I'm saying, no, 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 no. No, you're, you're weaponizing forgiveness. There's a process here. And part of that process is for your son to be prosecuted for his crimes. And so we're going to take him down to the courthouse and deal with this. And why? Because there were victims, okay? There were victims, and part of their ability to forgive their brother, which they have to do, is for that perpetrator of crimes to be prosecuted for his crimes and to pay for them. They're crimes. They're not just sins. They were crimes. Okay? And so, um, in that case, the parents weaponized forgiveness against the victims, against the daughters, to protect the son who had committed the sins. Ah! Horrible. Horrible wickedness. And, and the elders are pulling their hair out. And then this, the, the patriarch of the family went and brokered a deal with the investigative officer so that his son would not be prosecuted in any way, not even be examined in any way. Okay? Terrible situation. And that, that, but I remember, I remember being in the counseling sessions and we're desperately trying to, and Sarah's involved, we're desperately trying to help these girls. And they're just mouthing, well, we've forgiven him. I'm like, oh man. That's because you've, you've been forced to forgive. You've had the weapon of forgiveness thrown in your face. And no, no, we're going to really work through this. Well, of course, we didn't have an opportunity to work through all of that because they just got out of Dodge. So I give that example just as how on both sides of the equation, you can, you can go to somebody and force them to forgive. You can... You can you can make victims of those, you know, those who have been sinned against. You can force them to forgive 
And, and they'll do it from their mouth because they know enough of Scripture that, that, yeah, I do need to forgive. But it doesn't come from the heart. Right? And, and that needs, that is a work of the Holy Spirit. That is a work of time. That is a work of self-examination. It is the work of understanding God has forgiven my sins. Therefore, I should forgive those who have sinned against me. Right? It, it, is, a, it is a huge work. And in fact, working through that forgiveness is the way that victims recover against sins and crimes committed against them. But it's a process. It is the character of our loving God to forgive sins. It is our calling to forgive sins against us as we imitate our forgiving God. It is our duty to remember the forgiveness we have received from God for our terrible sins and pursue the same kind of mercy toward others. We must first go to others when we sin against them and ask for forgiveness. Gently, humbly, allowing them to respond however they're going to respond. And... Forgive from the heart those who come to us and confess their sins to us, that they've sinned against us. Right? Be ready to receive that confession and then get to work on your own pride and your own heart and your own immediate response and, and really um, think, okay, uh, what should I do here? How should I think? What sh- what's next? If we refuse to work through forgiveness with those who have sinned against us, or we refuse to confess our sins to those we sin against and ask for forgiveness, there is a terrible consequence in our hearts. The fruit of that is bitterness. Isn't it? You know that bitterness? Where you're not willing to forgive? And you just get bitter and bitter and bitter and bitter. And then your bitterness sort of exceeds in sinfulness the sin against you. And you're like dogging that person in your mind and hating them and murdering them in your heart. Becomes worse than the original offense. You know it. I know it. We've done it. Ugh. It's horrible. So where is that bitterness taking root? Where do you find that bitterness in your heart? Ask yourself if that doesn't come from not being willing to work through forgiveness. Bitterness is unforgiveness, isn't it? So even when we've been sinned against, our bitterness can become an even worse sin than the original offense, even though we might like to think we are justified because we are not the one who sinned originally. So if bitterness grips your heart, it may be there because of unforgiveness. And it's time to begin thinking about the character of God. It's time to begin thinking about the mound of sins that rises up to the heavens that God has forgiven you. 
it's time to think about the fact that those mound of sins were pushed on his son who died. And God did that for you. He punished his son so that all those sins and crimes could be dealt with and you could be forgiven. And you can't forgive somebody who quite maybe, possibly meant something in something they said to you in the hallway? (laughs) Reading like into what people are saying to you and then, you know, getting bitter? But think about God's grace towards you in Christ, the forgiveness of your own sins, and the fact that He has said that He will not forgive you if you do not forgive others from the heart. I'm, I know this is hard. I know I'm asking some of you to forgive people who have committed terrible, terrible sins against you. But the fact of the matter is, is we're all despicable sinners who have committed terrible sins against God. The, the worst sinner in the world's blackness is just a different shade of black than my own blackness of heart and the sins against God. Honestly. Remember that, that those who commit murder commit sin, but those who hate commit murder. Right? You know why I'm saying that? Because your sins are terrible. Your sins are terrible and God has forgiven you. He has. All of your sins. He has removed from you. And He has not just removed them, He's forgotten them. I don't even know what that means. He's omnipotent. I mean, He's omniscient. So how can He forget things? How does God forget? Well, he forgets your sins as an act of kindness towards you. And so the first step, I mean, to forget sins is really, really incredibly difficult. I think only, um, it feels like only God could do that. But forgiveness is something that we ought to be able to participate in as we imitate our God and as we imitate Christ. And so, notice that the weight of... One, one last thing. Notice that the weight of what is said... is when someone sins against you. Right? If somebody sins against you, the weight is not on if you sin against somebody else, here's what you do. The weight of the passage we read is if somebody sins against you, what do you do? And everywhere it says what? Forgive. Seven times, you know, seven times? I mean, seven times, Jesus? I mean, seven times? It's a lot. 70 times 7. So 490 times. 
Once we get to 491, is that Jesus' point there? No. I'm getting up, I'm about 438. I'm getting close. Better watch out. Come at me again. <laughs> no, it, it, it just means forgive. Keep on forgiving. Keep on forgiving. I mean, husbands and wives have, have far surpassed 490. Parents and children have far surpassed 490. I think I'm doing the math right. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, sure. Bitterness? Yeah, bitterness is a hardness of heart, and just you get so wrapped up in um, refusing to forgive. You get so wrapped up in opposing somebody who's sinned against you that it just, it's your constant thought. It just makes you bitter. It just shrivels your heart. And so you, you begin living in this state of life where you're just bitter because you won't forgive. And so it just, it, it leads to a sort of miserable, a miserable life, right? It leads to the fact where you are living in the light of that sin against you always. And that's horrible. And the only escape for that, honestly, is forgiveness. And I hate to even say that because because it's really hard. Because some sins against you are really, really terrible. Some sins against you should put, land somebody in jail for at least 50 years. Even still. Even still. The call is to process toward forgiveness and what that would mean. And the only way, again, to do that is to remember the own mound of sins you've presented to God as your, you know, your vile offering to Him, which He hates. And yet, He had compassion on you and forgave you through His Son. Which is, yeah, correct. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, exactly. Think of J Jonah. Why did Jonah not want to go to Nineveh? Because he knew God was gracious and kind and abounding and loving, and that he would forgive their sins. He did not want to go. 
He's like, God damn these Ninevites. And he didn't want to go and be a prophet and then God come in and like actually forgive There's these wicked idolaters, make Christians out of them. I mean, that's part of the reason we don't want to forgive some people is we can't imagine them sitting next to us in a pew actually worshiping God. And we don't want it. We just don't want it. We're, we're Jonah in our, our despising of the character of God and the, his character is always ready to forgive. Well, let's end there. And let's ask the Lord to, I mean, seriously, begin thinking through, thinking through where there's, you know, tension, bitterness, somebody who's sinned against you where you're sort of locked up with it right now. And just begin to work on that. Meditate on these passages. Meditate on the character of God. Think about your own sins and the forgiveness that you've received and so therefore you can give. And uh, let's see if the Lord doesn't help us. Let's pray for it. Father, we ask for your help. We are have small hearts and we are very short-sighted. And we pray with our mouths about forgiving others and having our sins forgiven. And it doesn't penetrate down to our heart. And so, Father, we ask that it would, that you would help us in this, that you would give us the Spirit who would bring conviction and that we would delight and be ready to forgive even as you are ready to forgive. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.